0: The only social responsibility of business is to use its resources and engage in activities designed to increase its profits, so long as it stays within the rules of the game which is to say engages in open and free competition without deception or fraud. Not my words, uh, the words of famed economist Milton Friedman from his seminal essay uh, on the topic of social responsibility and what businesses should be responsible for and prioritise their time on. Now 50 years old, that essay, actually. And uh, we've seen fluctuations in the understanding of businesses and its responsibility towards social impact over the years and certainly in the last couple of years, more and more prominence of big organizations and corporations putting purpose, uh, putting causes at the center of their focus or at least pretending to do so it's not always the case that it is really their number one priority but I'm really interested in this topic of course and I've covered it at length on this podcast in the past and as part of our original bike tradition series with the Livitt, which of course I'm glad you are participating in and of course want to hear your feedback on. I'm speaking to a really special guest today Michael Beretta who runs an agency called Dot Good, South Africans leading cause-based marketing or cause marketing and implementation agency and their focus really is on helping organizations not just discover their purpose but communicate that purpose effectively to their audience, to their employees, to various stakeholders, to the population at large and I really wanted to tap Michael's brain to understand how he helps typically complex corporates distill their intentions in this space, how they incorporate that into their traditional marketing efforts, and how they ensure that really authenticity is held at the core of these efforts. Otherwise, they tend to fall flat. Michael's got a great story. He runs an incredible business. He was very generous with his time, and I trust you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did having it. Without any further ado, Michael Beretta. Okay, Michael, thank you so much for taking time out of what I'm sure is a busy week to chat to me about Dot .good and a number of other things. There's this old adage in entrepreneurship that if you if you can solve a problem for yourself and you can build a business out of it, maybe you'll solve problems for other people. But you did something slightly different. You found your purpose or you tell the story of exploring and and in so doing, finding your, for lack of a better phrase, your why. And then building a business around that. So maybe I can tee you up with that as a, as a start and hear a little bit more about where the idea for Dot Good came about and what has
1: happened since then. Yeah, amazing. Thanks for having me, Mike. Really, really appreciate sure. it. um, It's so interesting that you say that. And um, People ask me if I think I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm like, no, I'm just someone that's really passionate. And that's kind <laughs> of how, how the way that I make money came to life. Quite a long story, but I'll try and keep it as as short as possible. Um, I was headhunted by the Creative Council, which, as many of you may know, was one of the biggest brand activation agencies in Africa, to come and work up uh, here in Joburg. And I used to travel quite a lot for business, but I, I never really kind of got entrenched in Joburg. And what struck me was how much litter just really goes unnoticed. In the city, and it kind of grated me at a fundamental level. And this was kind of almost a decade ago, so it's mm. definitely got worse since then, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. um, and I really wanted to do something about it and to make South Africa a cleaner place because litter is not just about environmental issues, it's about a sure. uh, social psyche, I think, uh, yeah. much deeper than, than just an environment. at the time, we were working on Nokia, which was uh, in its heyday as well. And they had an ambassador by the name of Dave Greer, uh, Mm -hmm. and he did this incredible journey for a charity called Miles for Smiles, where he ran a marathon uh, along the coastline. Of South Africa, And he did a little agency lunch, and I was just super inspired by his stories and moved by what he was saying and by how he kind of like put himself through all this physical adversity to make uh, what he felt passionate about come to life. So I thought, why don't I do this, combine this idea of making South Africa a cleaner place with kind of this inspiration of cleaning up the coastline of South Africa. So I developed mm-hmm. this campaign called Trekking for Trash and I quit my job uh, and I sold my car and we walked for seven months collecting litter every day. Myself and uh, a trekking partner, Kamala Howard, and we engaged with communities and taught them about recycling and place recycling depots and created awareness of, of inland and, and coastal litter uh, along the way. And I think through this journey, I realized that it is possible to build brands Drive sales and do good all at the same time, and our decade on—that's uh, where we are. And Dot Good has been thriving ever since.
0: Uh, Mike, I mean, you speak to South Africans every day who recognise issues around them. As you said, like trash is a good example of that. It's a, as you said, it's a social psyche. It's a representation of our level of self-respect and accountability. It's all of these things. What makes one person get up, sell their car, <laughs> and go on this incredible journey to effect change when a lot of other people just look past it or hope that somebody else will fix it for them? Um, what, I mean, maybe there was something behind that. Is there something early on in your life that sparked that kind of activist instinct?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think my parents set a great example. They are like very activist in the environmental space, like even before mm-hmm. we came had have their droughts they would shower with a bucket underneath their, themselves and that would go into the garden and they had um, their own little veggie patch and everything that comes into the house is checked is it recyclable, isn't recyclable mm-hmm. and uh, we were privileged enough to, to be able to go to the coast often and I think through that I learned and appreciate for nature and the environment, and I think that that was kind of the springboard that, that took me into trekking for Trash and then into Dot Good, and, and we now work in various different aspects of social impact, so it's, it's not just environmental anymore, and, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will be aware that South Africa has so many challenges be it from employment to literacy to woman abuse. I mean, I think this country must have the longest list of challenges and nothing will change unless people like us, because I know that you're a massive fan of South Africa as well, stand up, be counted and say, this is is who I am and this is what I'm proud of and, and this is how I want South Africa to be better. And, and brands are doing that, which I think is, is yeah. kind of so cool. And I, I think this is why our agency does flourish, is because they are seeing that private entities, be it an individual or an organization, actually have the ability to make change, to do. And that can be from a kind of a micro space where around your kind of shop that you own in a, in a township or in a village or whatever you, you want to, make change in that space or on a macro level, like a big corporate, like a bank or a retailer or whatever. And I think that as South Africans, through and through, we are proud, passionate and resilient. And I think the riots are a perfect example of that recently, how people stand up and say, this is not how I want to be perceived or this is not how I want to live. So,
0: Mike, you you referred to the agency and and we're talking about .good. .good is a cause marketing focused agency. And, you know, people that are listening to the podcast might be familiar with that phrase and and familiar with some of what we spoke, you know, brands that are focused around social impact. But it would be fair to say that there's a, a little bit of cynicism around that concept in the world at the moment. Brands that are. Attempting to take on a cause or stand up for a cause, but sometimes it seems a little bit disingenuous or, you know, sort of window dressing rather than a sincere commitment to changing the environment or community or setting that they operate in. So tell me how cause marketing in its best form is different from some of the greenwashing and wokewashing or whatever it is that we want to call it that we've seen brands do in a fairly opportunistic way way in recent times
1: yeah so i think i'm going to be a little bit controversial here and say please that i like i'm not anti-greenwashing yes you want Mm -hmm. to be authentic you want to be true to what you stand for but i think the greenwashing comes from the knowledge that this organization should be doing something better and i think by knowing is the first step to getting there yeah, you know, not so much about a, a
0: malicious intent, but rather just a, a not deep enough understanding of what it actually means. Is that is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I think a hundred percent, and a pressure coming from somewhere, and and I'd <clears> like <throat> to think as consumers or society, we will. In future, keep organizations in check and say, right, this is no longer acceptable. You need to behave like this. So I see it as almost like a step in the right direction as opposed mm-hmm. to like, look at me, get more consumers. Because they will see that that is in fact what will happen? Because we know that organizations with a strongly defined purpose do far better than their, their competitors. So if they start moving in that direction and then they see the commercial benefit, because ultimately organizations exist to make money, but they will understand that there's more to that if they go down that chain. If they don't, they'll never know. And um, So I'm not completely against greenwashing, but you're, I think going back to your question uh, about cause marketing. So cause marketing is generally driven from, from um, the marketing department. So there is restrictions in terms of promotional periods because that's how the marketing calendar works. There'll be a set mm-hmm. budget that needs to be divided by a series of, di- of different quarters. But it's taking baby steps to activate or to bring to life that organization's purpose in action by making small changes in in, in people's lives. And I'm not saying that every campaign is going to change the world. I'm really not saying that. But Mm -hmm. the more brands see that they can create relationships with their consumers that are mutually beneficial, the better for both parties. I hope that answered your question yeah sure, and I think it's a much broader definition or
0: understanding or proposal for what cause based marketing could be rather than the simplistic way of thinking about just impact led advertising necessarily or whatever it might be that we tend to narrow uh these definitions down to the skeptic in me though wants to kind of dig deeper into your conversation around us knowing that organizations that are led by a purpose doing better, and my instincts are that. That might be true, but that purpose is not always magnanimous. Sometimes that purpose is make as much money at the expense of people as possible <laughs> um and and so it's not always a it's not always a purpose that we can aspire to or support uh, but it certainly is uh, purposeful in the in the worst possible way. What I'm hearing you say though is that organizations that understand that they can be, and I think you said the three things together earlier on, you know they can be profitable, they can be prolific, they can grow and they can be purposeful, or or nobody has to lose while they do that, are showing us that that is arguably the best way to run a business moving forward, regardless of your kind of philosophy on the topic. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that really does um, summarize it nicely. I think sometimes it's easier said than done uh, certainly in in, in reality, because often you have shareholders and um, people that that are putting a huge amount of pressure to make, more money, But yes, essentially, that's how I think it should, it should operate. Because fundamentally, as a, as a planet, we have limited resources. And to make sure that organizations, if you are using minerals in your production, we preserve those minerals to carry on making what you're making. Otherwise, you're going to run out and not be able to sell what you need to sell on a very simplistic level.
0: So how do you find these organizations then? Or how do organizations that want to work with a specialist agency like yourselves find you? How does that relationship generally initiate?
1: So I think this is a great example of how your purpose attracts the right stakeholders and Mm, so through opportunities like this where what I say kind of touches a nerve with a marketing manager or a marketing director saying well you know we really need to be thinking about how we can create mutually beneficial relationships uh, with Mm. with our consumers. We have uh, a new business uh, development manager does incredibly well in terms of reaching out to specific organizations who are really well placed in order to be able to use our services. So, I mean, great example are uh, plant based products or uh, financial services that offer literacy and help to people who maybe aren 't that that literate or fashion retailers that put a huge amount of emphasis in reducing the amount of water that they use in the production of, of their products and that want to create other garments from recycled kind of um, Genes or whatever the case may be. So, so we see people, we see how they act out there, and we kind of say, Listen, we, we see you. And we believe that we share the same philosophies, and we want to help you do better because we want to see more organizations like yours last the test of time as opposed to just focus on, on, on just making the money.
0: Mike, there's a sense that in the past, this uh, component of an organization's strategy, if we can even call it strategy, was in a way, outsourced to a corporate social investment program or department. Uh, and and somebody who will not be named recently said to me that they got a sense that all the worst marketers in the business got put into that department sometimes. Certainly, that was the way it was done uh, years ago. And what we've seen is that this has been moved from a – essentially a department that we outsource our conscience to, to a strategic imperative that sits at the core of what the organization does. And I think in some ways the corporate ecosystem in South Africa has got some catching up to do in this regard, but certainly there's a level of maturity, you know, in my experience working with organizations in the UK and in the US around being a little bit more conscious about the connectedness of their impact and their profit. Talk to me about how, the relationship with a brand for you changes if we had to compare it to a relationship with a typical agency or a typical agency or is what you're doing pretty much exactly the same or the services exactly the same, except you look at everything through the lens, the filter, if you like, of social impact.
1: Yeah, so I think maybe just to jump back to, to one of your points. So, so yes, I think South Africa has a, a long way to, to go in this. I know that Unilever does this incredibly well. They almost have created this hybrid between CSI and marketing. I do think that that is the future of the way that we communicate because I don't think these two things can be done in isolation, particularly South Africa, where the demand for help is greater than the ability to market yourself. So it's it's going to become this... I'll help you if you help me kind of dynamic, uh, which which will grow. So I think that that's a great case study in terms of how it happens. And I think you'll see that a lot of organizations will start following that. Mm-hmm. Um, another kind of layered challenge within our context is obviously BE. So that is very much, an, an, and it sounds cliched, but a tick box. Um, so I think people are looking just, in some instances, at just to kind of tick those boxes, but I do think that the consciousness is now starting to sink in that if you combine these efforts, we can make real impact whilst also better communicating who we are and what we want want to do. Um, And I think sometimes that's easier with brands that their consumers could be their beneficiaries, because then that's almost like a a no-brainer. So some FNCG products that that kind of sell to the bottom end of the market, very easy for them to create spaces and places that not only uplift, but also communicate. A little bit more complicated uh, when you're dealing with high-end consumers um, in a non-environmental tone, because that would be the go-to, because I think that you would hope that people in that LSM would understand that we have one planet and, and that's all we've got. But yeah, so it comes a little bit more tricky at, at, at that space. But um, definitely we've seen through the types of clients that have reached out to us, various different organizations are, mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. and, um, are really trying to both change their ways, but also change the way that they communicate.
0: Alright, a quick break and play. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope you're enjoying our Glenlivet Original Bite Tradition series. A wise man once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act but a habit. For me, this is what being the original is really all about. It's a mindset. It's forward-looking. It's progressive. It's about not backing down to conformity or accepting mediocrity. It's about questioning norms, breaking assumptions. It's in the way that we combine resources creatively and use our talents in ways other people hadn't imagined. Ultimately, originality is really about people who are determined to do things on their own terms, redefining the way that we think about things like culture and success and achievement in the process. Originality is all about how we draw on our roots and show up winning again and again and again. A big thank you again from me to the team at Livet for making these conversations possible. If you're enjoying the show as much as I'm enjoying recording it, please don't hesitate to share it with your network. And now back to the podcast. There's this ongoing, probably for too long burning platform around the topic of measurement in the marketing space and the, you know, ascertaining the the efficacy of spend and making sure that we can be accountable to senior stakeholders for the work that we do in this space and via various channels. Now, I'm sure that measurement comes up almost immediately in the conversation around cause marketing and, and marketing that is intended to have some sort of social impact, positive social impact. And I was shocked when I dived deeper into the world of of social impact and social enterprises, to understand just how mature the conversation around measurement is in the social impact world compared to the kind of traditional capitalist world. And I'm like, this is bizarre. Like these people are doing really great work and are spending 30% of their time having to report back to funders, with these incredibly mature uh, measurement capabilities, and yet in the traditional entrepreneurship world, we traditional entrepreneurship world we do very little of that kind of work. So tell me how you think about measurement and how your clients have come to think about measurement through the work that you've done with them.
1: Yeah, and so that's a really interesting question. So I think what we always try and do is we try and apply two forms of of, of measurement. So one mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. what are your traditional ROI metrics that you, yes. that you want to achieve. And in most instances, we always propose solutions that would do the same as a traditional means of engagement. And then we say, right, on top of that, what mm-hmm. short, medium and long term change do you want to make uh, within the space that that, that we have agreed to move forward in? And I think mm-hmm. that depending on that space, your matrix will change. So is it health testing? Is it behavior change in terms of eating? Is it recycling? Is it understanding or literacy? And obviously it's, it's quite easy in terms of the first point of contact is how many people? How many people have you done this with? Um, sure. But then also, you're right, it is incredibly sophisticated in terms of how much further you can take that. So mm. um, what were the perceptions of, for example, a recycling project in terms of the clean environment? Tying back to our original discussion, uh, did crime reduce in that area because it was kept tidy and there was less graffiti and there were less broken windows? Like what are the other ripple effects that were seen from this engagement? And what we like to do as an agency is set those metrics or those uh, sometimes quite soft things upfront and measure and track that so that we can can report. And then at the end of any campaign or engagement, we would say, right, what worked? What didn't work? Mm. How can we do this better? And, and again, we then wear the two hats. How do we reach more people from a marketing perspective? And how do we help more people from an mm. impact perspective as well? Yeah, I love, I love thinking about the combination
0: of those two together. So in my in my experience running an agency, Michael, there were very rare occasions, maybe two that I can remember, where we decided not to work with a client right up front. But it was pretty drastic. (laughs) It took took quite something for me to go, I don't know if I could sleep at night (laughs) knowing that I'm promoting this person's business. (laughs) Because we promoted some interesting businesses. I imagine that and maybe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. Maybe, I mean, maybe part of your, the reason you exist as an agency is to help organizations discover their opportunity to make change, even if they aren't uh, 100% focused on that imperative from the beginning. But how carefully do you select the clients you work with? You spoke about your business development manager's commitment to seeking out those types of relationships. Like, what is the profile? I guess for the ideal client for a for a cause marketing business.
1: Um, yes, we have said no, and we always say no politely. Um, also, uh, we've said no to some of the NGOs that do fantastic work, but can't necessarily leverage the impact that we can give them. Uh, hmm. And it was hmm. it was we saw that we were not, and, and this happened on a few occasions, not necessarily spending the money. That, that they were paying us effectively. And that mm-hmm. really frustrates us because fundamentally an NGO is intended to make impact and we saw that they were wasting money. We said to them, listen, you know, we, we love what you do. But unless we can try and find a way to work together so that you can maximize the impact that we can give you, this isn't going to work for us. Because personally, that that really, really grates me. Um, interesting story. I'm not going to mention any brands, but we work for a, a, a big FMCG uh, client. And one of their products or brands uh, came to us that it's a sweet, sweet product, and that's came to us and said, listen, we love what you're doing and we really believe and we want to, to uh, drive with purpose and this is our purpose. And, and I really did kind of subscribe to, that. I was to it. I was, think it was fantastic. But my immediate reaction was, I don't want to work with a sweet brand. Like that's, you know, we, we work with sugar-free alternatives. We see the damage that sugar does. Um, but then I, then I thought, and with our strategists, we thought this entity exists it's here, right? We, we can't change that. But maybe we can change the way that they think or the mm. way that they engage. So we mm. developed a strategy that we believe helped them to firstly, I think, use less plastic or res- more recyclable plastic, and then also uh, to help create kindness in the world um, through incentive and reward. So it's, it's, it is a very thin line, and and I, and I think that, As an agency, we need to be very careful about who we choose to take on board because it's essentially our reputation that's on the line by saying yes uh, to a client that we don't believe truly subscribes um, to a purpose and and wants to make the world a a better place. Because in Mm -hmm. this country, there are so many that do and are vested. So rather choose to
0: work with them. Mike, we spoke on the phone, must be about... 2 months ago now maybe even further back than that it's a terrifying thought um about this kind of vicious cycle spiral if you like that exists in the intersecting worlds of advertising and communications and and specifically the nonprofit or charity or impact led business world because we've spoken uh, because of my inherent biases around brands and kind of profitable brands and seeking out purpose but there's an interesting discussion to have around why NGOs don't advertise more and you know my again I've researched this and I and I spent a fair amount of time studying this in 2019 and, and you know advertising generally speaking costs a lot of money uh, the resources that are allocated to creative work and content and planning are are, are expensive resources and what tends to happen is that agencies only take on uh, NGOs, number one, if they can do the work pro bono, uh, and generally speaking, that's because they want to win awards from it. Not not always, (laughs) but often. And second of all, they take them on only if they're like those really big names, you know, like Doctors Without Borders or the World Wildlife Fund or these massive NGOs that – just by virtue of their momentum, they are juggernauts of, of kind of brand success already. And, and what happens is a lot of a lot of NGOs or purpose led organizations that then do want to invest in marketing or advertising can only really afford substandard help or substandard resources. So they get a bad product and what they start to believe is that advertising doesn't work for them. Right? And they and then it kind of perpetuates this myth and so on and so forth, and you know we 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 sort of tackled it when I say we I mean my cohort as part of my master's program, try to solve this problem in our thinking was how can we get impact led organizations to think differently about advertising and how can we get advertisers to think differently about impact led organizations as clients and obviously the problem in the middle is resources is money. Talk to me a little bit about how you have not addressed or solved but but how you've kind of helped impact-led organizations and NGOs think about marketing and advertising in a different way.
1: Yeah. And I love that you called it impact organizations and not-for-profits, and I think we did chat about that in, in, our, in our telephone conversation, because that's mm-hmm. really how uh, these organizations need to start viewing themselves. I mean putting a non in your name is almost like creating a self-fulfilling prophecy to fail. Um, So so it's much more fluid and much more progressive and much more uh, forward forward, uh, moving. But I think maybe just to kind of jump back, we don't take on any NGOs as uh, pro bonos. When we do our own purpose work, we won't really offer marketing or communication skills. We will rather go and Build something or make something or dig something because um, I'm sure working communication, you know, that it's it sometimes feels quite intangible. We, we really yeah, like to have you know hard and fast things that we give back. And our agency is slightly different in terms of the fact that it's a below the line agency, so we specialize in behavior change and one on one engagement in terms mm-hmm. of delivering results. So, where I think that an agency such as Ours is very different to an above-the-line agency where you're putting out a campaign and you're hoping that someone is going to respond to that messaging in a way that it was intended to do. Our agency really sets clear metrics. And I'll use a great HIV-AIDS testing program that we ran for Innova Health a while ago. They said, right, we need to test X hundred thousand of men for HIV and AIDS mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in these areas. We up with a campaign or platform that does this and we came up with this idea of these kind of semi-permanent pop-up stores based on the idea that these guys really don't like the tents on the side of the road, they really don't like going to the clinic, they don't like standing in queues with, with women. And we yeah. put these pop-ups with uh, trained professional staff and we literally went into the communities and we brought people back to the space to, to be tested. And it yielded one of the highest returns in terms of identifying HIV-positive men, which was the goal of, of of the project. So we had our numbers targeted in terms of how many needed to be reached and how many needed to be tested and then how many needed to be put on ARV. So it takes the guesswork away from hoping that a message is going to be interpreted. It's actually literally mm-hmm. holding the hand of the, I'm going to call them a beneficiary in this case, not a consumer, to the store to get them tested. And then depending on what their Statuses, uh, status is we give them the right advice after that or the help that they that they need uh, after that so I think that that is the benefit of, of below the line engagement versus above the line engagements and I think that sometimes the above the line agencies don't see below the line stuff as sexy because sometimes it is as simple as as creating a permanent shop because I need to see it a few times before I actually go in there or I need to get mm. stopped by the person here because this is the route I work, walk through every day to work to get, to, get, to get pulled in. And that isn't going to work it, And it never yeah, will. Sure. And, and, although I have seen the luries changing their tune a little bit um, the, uh, this year around talking about uh, good journeys and, and all, all that kind of stuff. But I, I think it really needs to start coming down to that, that measurable impact and less of that marketing uh, or both. I mean, it needs to, it needs to just be seen as a whole as opposed to one, uh, one or the other.
0: Yeah. That was kind of where we landed was leveraging one of the, well, in my humble opinion, dysfunctions of the industry, which is it's, uh, you know, kind of disproportionate reliance on awards as a way of demonstrating value and success as a lever point. So use those same awards, use, the power that they have over client and agency leader thinking to potentially turn attention towards um, impact, um, and there is some of that happening actually. Co- coincidentally, have seen organisations pop up overseas that are focused on exclusively on the efficacy of cause-based marketing initiatives and rewarding those accordingly. But I think yeah, it is something that will certainly happen in time. As we become more and more aware of the interreliance and the interconnectedness of, of you know, kind of a broader view of impact and profitability uh, and how they go hand in hand. So, Mike, you work with clients and specifically kind of, you know, corporate clients on a project type of basis or do you mimic the kind of traditional agency retainer sort of model? How have you thought about kind of your business model or you're essentially doing exactly the same thing, you know, but just under a different promise or measurable outcome?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we like to call ourselves output-based. Um, so I think I mentioned we, we would set a clear deliverable in terms of what it is that mm-hmm. we want to mm-hmm. achieve. And we work on a project-by-project project basis. Um and prove ourselves over time. So we say, right, Mm. this is what we want to achieve with this engagement. When we reach reach and exceed it, then how do we take this project bigger or national or to a different sphere and and make it really, really work? And I I think it's also about building relationships with your clients because it is quite unknown. (laughs) How do I as marketing director or marketing manager change everything that the organization is doing mm, it, it, mm, that's sure, quite sure. A, it's quite a big a big ask and that fundamentally is what, what we're trying to do we're trying to show that these things aren't mutually exclusive but in fact mutually beneficial and if that director can then take it to the CEO and say, look, this is what we've gone done on a, a micro, micro scale, this is what our consumers are really asking for. This is this is the way of the future. This is what we need to be doing. We need to change yeah. our business and then we need to talk about that again. Um, and yeah. And I think us in communications are generally the loudest. <laughs> so so people do hear us. People do hear what we have to say. And and I think it is a good entry point to an organization to to try and make that change internally so for brand custodians
0: marketing managers people who are listening to this call that hold some responsibility for the efficacy of the communication of an organization how I've used the word efficacy about 17 times i really need a new <laughs> word for that particular the the effectiveness, let's rather go with that one, uh, of a communication's ability to portray itself to its customers and, and in some cases to its beneficiaries. Mike, how would you hope that they start thinking differently? I mean, what books do you want them to read? What talks do you want them to watch? How, how do you wish brand custodians would think differently about the, the relationship between kind of purpose and communication?
1: yeah so um you mentioned books, so Simon Sinek started with why I think it's it 's kind of the foundation of this type of thinking. Mm-hmm. There also various um, TED talks that you that you could watch, and it 's about authentically deciding what you stand for as an organization beyond making money so mm-hmm. and that can 't be done in isolation, so that can 't just be done by the marketing department. Um, it's the a bug. Keyword there also is authentic, right? Yeah. So, so I, I'm not going to mention any names again. But we, we sometimes just get calls from from organisations, and they say we want to go and do this, which is like just so unrelated to anything <laughs> they do. And yeah we go, why, <laughs> why, why would you be, so I mean, I'm trying to think, think of an example. And not just
0: why, but I mean, there's there's kind of a reputational or, or inherent crisis risk in doing that, right? Like a, a, sometimes such a schizophrenic attempt by organizations to, you know, pretend to be something that they just clearly are not.
1: Yeah, and it's just, it's so apparent to you as as someone completely outside, but they just can't see it. And they'll be the same people that phone you in four months' time. And no, we want to go now, go do this. (laughs) Because someone in our organization wants to do this. And I'm like, "Uh, this is not doing anything for that organization, that cause, that beneficiary. And it's also definitely not doing anything for you um yep, so it's, it's about it's about adding value in a space or place that you can that also adds value to who you are as an entity and i think that that it really personifies that 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 relationship so it needs to be mutually beneficial because if it isn't the next person who moves in is going to say, oh, no, no, uh, my aunt went um, to this orphanage and it was really cute and we need to go and give money to that. You need to, to be equipped with the things to say, no, this is what we stand for as an organization. This is what we've done for the organization over the last period, whatever that period is. And this is what we believe that the relationship is also doing for us as an organization and for our consumers or our stakeholders, whoever they, whoever they may be. How do people
0: find you? Where do they find you online? What are the right URLs to visit?
1: <laughs> so uh, check us out our, at our website. I think it's the best place to go. There's some really nice case studies, various different industries, various different sectors, uh, NGO, not NGO, sorry, for-profits and uh, commercial. And that is www.good.co.za or check us out on our Facebook as well. Um, and then on our website, there's a contact page, um, and anyone who's listening wants to reach out, feel free to email me at dotgood.co.za, and I will definitely hit you an, an email back. That is
0: amazing, Michael. Thanks so much. Thanks for the work that you're doing. Thanks not just for the work that you're doing, but also the lessons, hopefully, that you're imparting. Uh, I think a key point out of today 's conversation is that it 's not always around finding the perfect opportunity or the perfect client to do this work with, but sometimes it 's about changing mindsets and changing priorities in a in a subtle caring and you know kind of non invasive way uh, and and in so doing that 's often where the you know, the longest or most meaningful impacts often are um, so thanks for doing that work it, uh, I know as a fellow South African as an entrepreneur as an impact. Uh, a believer in the value of impact. I think uh, we're very grateful to you. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity, Mike.
0: Cool. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit mikestopforth.com, click on the podcast link, and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible, and remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man,
1: slash person, is a king.